Hello and welcome to another episode of the Checkdown Charlie's Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric, and I am always joined by my good friend, Theo. What is up, Theo? Well, I always say nothing much, but this time I really mean it. Nothing much. I'm on <laughs> holidays for the past three weeks, so I've just been home, like, being lazy around the house. Hell yeah, brother. You get up to anything exciting or just uh, just chilling? First time in Mexico, actually. So came nice. back from that. And how could I put it gently? I am remembering it fondly through the washroom. <laughs> Absolutely. Memories, you know? I mean, at least it gives you, you know, little remembrances of the trip. You know, that's good. Yeah. Word to the wise. If you ever go down there, don't eat the ice cubes. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first. Travel advice and NFL history. What can we not do? We got everything on this pod. So uh, where did we last leave our audience, Eric? So the last episode was the end of the 1973 season. So the Dolphins just finished going back to back. They completely destroyed the Minnesota Vikings in the Super Bowl. Their defense combined over two Super Bowls in 72 and 73 allowed one offensive touchdown. So that's the kind of the level of dominance that we're talking about here for the Miami Dolphins. Today, we are going to be taking a bit of a detour and highlighting one of the members of the no-name defense, a gentleman by the name of Nick Buonaconti. Yes, a very important piece of this undefeated Dolphins team. A defensive scheme is only as good as the players who are on the field to execute it. No player was more vital to the Dolphins' defensive hopes than inside linebacker Nick Buonaconti. Buonaconti was originally drafted out of Notre Dame by the then Boston Patriots in 1962, in the 13th round of the AFL draft. At 5'11 and 220 pounds, many scouts considered Buonaconti to be too small to play professionally, which sort of makes sense why he was drafted in the 13th round. It's kind of insane thinking about it back then, how many rounds there were in the draft, Eric. Yeah, for sure. Now it's cut off at the seventh round and you're hopeful to like get a squad player at, at that pick. Yeah. I mean, there's still practice squad and undrafted free agents. So I guess if you're looking at it in today's NFL, he might've made it as a UDFA, but still a long shot. Exactly. Notre Dame coach Joe Kuharich dubbed him too small to play pro ball. He'll run through a brick wall for you, but he'll leave a small hole. Juan and Conti said, when butt kiss hits you, you fall the way he wants. When I hit you, you fall the way you want, but you still fall. Juan Conti was essentially the quarterback of the defense, a commanding presence on and off the field despite his comparatively diminutive stature. His coach, Don Shula, had this to say about the quarterback of his defense. Quote, he was too small. He wasn't fast. Right now, if he were coming out of college and all his stats were in the computer, I guarantee you he would be a reject. He would never get a chance to come to an NFL camp. But the thing that you can't measure with a computer is heart. That's what Bonaconti had. Plus, he had this tremendous leadership ability. He wouldn't stand for anything but the best effort. He wouldn't tolerate any mistakes from his teammates, and he never made any mistakes himself. Although he wasn't strong by today's standards of being a linebacker, Nick brought so many other things that were important to us. I think if we'd have lost Nick Bonaconti, it would have been tough to keep it together the way we kept it together. Bonaconti had this to say, I assessed what my role should be. 
I had to be someone who was going to stand up for players, someone who was going to speak for the players, someone who was going to criticize his teammates if they had to be criticized, someone who was going to kick someone in the butt if they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Even Bonaconti's opponents needed to give credit where credit was due. Former Bills running back and totally and completely innocent man in the eyes of the law without any doubt whatsoever, OJ Simpson, would have this to say, according to Undefeated. (laughs) Nick was... I'm going to start that again. (laughs) Even Bonaconti's opponents needed to give credit where credit was due. Former Bills running back and totally and completely innocent man in the eyes of the law without any doubt whatsoever, OJ Simpson, would have this to say about him, according to Undefeated. Quote, Nick was the most underrated player that I played against. Whenever we tried to audible, he seemed to know what our audible was. I can remember on two occasions, he literally beat me to the handoff. I would be in my stance sometimes, knowing where we were going, and all of a sudden, I'd see Bonaconti either pointing to the hole or shifting a defensive tackle over to the point where we were about to go. You never know how disconcerting it was, because for my career, I was always playing with new or young quarterbacks. I can remember saying to Joe Ferguson, audible, audible, audible. Like many of the members of the 70s Dolphins, being in the NFL was not the only option afforded to Bonaconti. Despite being drafted into the league, he took care of his family and got a law degree at the same time. He started his studies at Suffolk University with his $1,000 signing bonus in his second year as a pro. Bonaconti actually signed a lease to open a law office when he was traded from the Boston Patriots in 1969. Needless to say, Nick had options. He was acting as his own agent in contract negotiations with Joe Robbie, and he demanded that the Dolphins double his pay to make the deal work. According to Undefeated, Bonaconti wanted a three-year guaranteed contract to play in Miami. Joe Robbie countered by saying that the Dolphins did not do guaranteed contracts. Bonaconti upped the ante and threatened retirement, even going so far as to submit a retirement letter to NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle. Three weeks later, terms for Bonaconti's new contract were agreed. Sounds like the same old song and dance, eh, Rizzoli? Even to this day, there is no such thing as a guaranteed contract. I Seriously, like, can you imagine demanding a guaranteed contract in 1969 when, you know, the last episode we talked about Jim Langer getting 375 bucks and he's desperate for money. And, and Nick Bonacondi's like, I want you to double my pay and I want it to be guaranteed. Like the yeah. balls on this guy. And it's funny because he negotiated with one of the most notorious cheapskakes out of all NFL owners, Joe Robbie. There are stories of Robbie always negotiating everything, even office supplies. He was uh, one to turn over every stone when it came to money. Absolutely. I'm sure the law school really helped out in negotiations, but you can see this guy was never going to back down from any challenge. You know, like he knew how to advocate for himself. And you'll see that throughout his career. He was a defensive stalwart for every team he was on. He received all American honors at Notre Dame. He was a two-time pro bowler and a two-time Super Bowl champion. In 73, he would break the Dolphins' record for most tackles in a season with 162. His teammates would name him most valuable Dolphin during the 72 and 73 seasons. He would later be enshrined in the Patriots Hall of Fame in 92 and in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2001. 
Wanu Kanti's list of accomplishments off the field spans across multiple areas, making him a very interesting character even after his playing days were done. Wanu Kanti would leverage his skills as a negotiator to the maximum. While he was injured during the 75 season, he began working part-time as an analyst for CBS. All the while, he was able to negotiate a contract for himself in 76 worth 126k, and he would play four games in his final season. He would also go on to become a very successful sports agent for football and baseball players. Andre Dawson is an example of one of the players that he represented. There's a story of him representing Bucky Dent, who played for the New York Yankees in 1978. Yankees owner George Steinbrenner threatened to trade Dent away due to contract demands, and Bonaconti apparently laughed in his face and told him that there would be plenty of takers. Once Dent eventually signed a deal with the LA Angels, Steinbrenner and Bonaconti would meet up at a dinner, and Steinbrenner said to Nick Bonaconti's new fiance at the time, quote, good luck with your prenup. That's the meanest guy I ever negotiated with. And that's George Steinbrenner saying that. A well-known mogul, to say the least, and he's you know heaping praise on Bonaconti. So the guy's an absolute dog you know, in the boardroom. Like he's not taking no for an answer. So Nick would also be named chairman of the Dade County Democratic Party in 1982. After doing some legal work for them in the past, Bonaconti would eventually serve as the president and COO of U.S. Tobacco starting in 1985. So U.S. Tobacco, for example, are the makers of Skull and Copenhagen chewing tobacco. Although he grew up picking tobacco as a child, he never dipped or smoked himself. By 1985, he was the face of tobacco in the United States, just as the pressure was mounting for companies to admit that tobacco was addictive. And this is a direct quote from The Athletic. Bonaconti was also chief operating officer of Columbia Laboratories, a pharmaceutical research and development company. He was the outside director for the Sports Authority and a member of the Board of Governors for the United Service Organization. He also worked with American Bankers Insurance Company and retail clothier Nine West Group. Despite success in business and politics, tragedy would strike the Buonacontes. Nick's son Mark would become paralyzed as a result of injuries sustained during a football game. Nick wasted no time gathering up as many resources as he could to help his son and others afflicted with spinal injuries in the United States. He founded the Buonaconte Fund as part of the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis, which helped to raise over $500 million for research into spinal cord injuries. In 1980, he and Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Len Dawson came together to host HBO's Inside the NFL, which is still running to this day. He was a host of the show for 23 years, culminating in his retirement in 2001, just in time for his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Reflecting on his time in the NFL, Buonaconti had this to say, quote, my last game, at the end, I got on my hands and knees and kissed the ground and thank God that I've never gotten seriously hurt. 14-year career? I could have been maimed. This would, however, not continue to be true for the Dolphins legend. Later in life, Nick Bonaconti's mental health started to deteriorate to the point where he was diagnosed with neurodegenerative dementia. Bonaconti apparently doesn't remember playing in Super Bowl VI against the Cowboys as he blacked out trying to tackle a Cowboys runner during the game. Bonaconti estimates that during his entire time playing football, he must have taken about 520,000 hits to his head. When he started to feel neurological symptoms in 2015, he went for an MRI, which showed shrinkage in certain areas of his brain. The link between these neurological disorders and his career in the NFL is undeniable. 
When asked by Sports Illustrated if he would do it all over again if he had the chance, Bonaconzi put it plainly, quote, I didn't have any idea the price would be this debilitating. Had I known what I have played, I had no alternative. There was no other way for me to get a college education. Football kept rewarding me. I can't deny that. But I'm paying the price. Everybody pays the piper. Wanaconti was also a staunch critic of the NFL's settlement for older players who have suffered from ill effects of football-related injuries over the years. He often served as an advocate against the NFL and NFLPA, arguing for more money and more rights for retired players. A billion dollars going towards players who suffered similar consequences as he did is not enough. Nick Bonaconti passed away in 2019 and agreed to donate his brain for research of CTE, which if you don't know what that is, it stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It's a hot button issue now in the NFL. In layman's terms, it's brain injuries and defects that is shown to be because of playing football and sustaining trauma to the head. But anyway, I would say... For me personally, he strikes me as kind of a modern Renaissance man who wanted pretty much everything he put his mind to, even in the face of some pretty major adversity. I'll let this quote from Sports Illustrated's SL Price paint the picture for you. Quote, Bonaconti resists glib pigeonholing. A former Democratic leader, once horrified by cannabis, he supports Donald Trump and now entertains the idea of using medical marijuana. Appalled by the racist welcome doled out to black players upon their arrival in the 1965 AFL All-Star Game in New Orleans, Bonaconti joined and fully backed a boycott that forced the game's move to Houston. So I think on the whole, this is kind of a departure from our regularly scheduled programming. And to be honest, I went back and forth on whether or not we should even mention this, but I believe that it's really important that we do mention the fact that Nick Bonaconti is one of many former NFL players to have suffered, you know, neurodegenerative disease that can be linked to their careers of playing football. And, you know, it's it's no secret that we are fans of a sport that involves grown men running at each other at full speed with the intent of knocking each other to the ground at the least, right? The fact that there would be brain injuries associated with that is the sad truth. And I think it's important that we talk about it anyway, as uncomfortable as it is. It's very important that we had talked about Nick Bonaconti, especially since he was such a pivotal character for those early 70s Dolphins teams. Not just that, but the fact that he achieved so much post-playing career, that's really important to talk about because he sort of helps move the NFL forward in some ways with the access show that's still going on today, which is pretty cool. You know, there's always a silver lining. It's unfortunate like, that he had passed away because of CTE and mm -hmm. he sort of degenerated towards the end of his life. Those are the facts. You know what I mean? It's not like we're, we're putting an opinion on it. It's just in layman's terms, it is what it is. Yeah. And ultimately like he probably knew the risks going into it right? He knew the risks. He was the head of us tobacco in 1985. I mean, like if you want to talk about things we know the risks of, like the guy was the face of smoking cigarettes in the 1980s in the US. So clearly like he was able to put those things aside and do what was best for him and his family. But then there's also the side of him where he's just an absolute mogul, right? Like he's so successful in business and he uses those connections to turn a tragedy where his son becomes paralyzed because of a football injury 
and he ends up raising, you know, half a billion dollars for spinal cord injuries in the U.S. That's just kind of the guy he was like anything that he put his head to, he achieved 110 percent to the maximum. You know what I mean? Uh, just a little pushback on my end, Rizzoli, where I kind of disagree is that I don't think Buonaconti would have known back then how dangerous CT was going to be. Most definitely they like football players, even back then had an idea that it was, it was damaging to their bodies, but I don't think anyone could have predicted to what extent if we were to spin zone this because of players like him who were so successful in the limelight for many years, because he unfortunately died of this disease, it sort of focused the national attention onto it. Towards the end of his life, he went on a news network and announced to the country that he was donating his brain to CTE research. He's done a lot for the game, a lot outside of the game. And I feel like his legacy is ongoing. And like part of this new adaptation to the rules and the way we look at brain trauma is part and parcel because of the sacrifices of people like him. I agree. And you bring up an excellent point, Theo. It's sometimes easy to look back on history with the lens of today's knowledge with today's information and say, how could they not have known that this was going to happen, right? It's very, very easy to do that. And there is a place in that. And part of what we're doing is looking back on history and spinning it with today's examples. But in this scenario, I agree that it's important to try to put yourself in the shoes of the people who were doing it back then and trying to evaluate them based on what they would have known at the time rather than what has come out now and then trying to put those values back onto what they were doing basically. So totally agreed. In terms of Nick's legacy, another unsung thing that we touched on was his time at Inside the NFL, right? And I remember hearing on broadcasts, I've heard Al Michaels before from Sunday Night Football talk about how he would watch Len Dawson and Nick Bonacani every chance he could, right? Like that's what inspired him to become the broadcaster that he became. And obviously now he's, he could argue and say he's the voice of football after, you know, taking the torch from John Madden, but that's another, another story. My point is Nick's impact cannot be understated. And he had an impact in so many different areas of the game and so many different areas of life and business and politics that we couldn't not cover him. The point is that he was continuously improving as a person as well. He kept using the information, like the last quote, for example, he used to be anti-marijuana. Now he's an advocate of using, you know, medicinal marijuana. Like he used the information that he had to continuously challenge his own opinions to come up with the best answers. And that's admirable. He was basically a natural middle linebacker throughout his whole life because he was constantly adaptive. Could not agree more. This was a good episode. I, I enjoyed it and I hope everybody else did as well. We will return to our regularly scheduled programming, of course, but wanted to, again, shine the light on some of the individuals that make up Dolphins history. And uh, Nick Bonaconti was definitely a great example of that. If you guys enjoyed Please keep listening, recommend the Checkdown Charlies. Follow us on Twitter at CheckDCharlies, Instagram at CheckdownCharlies. 
and we will catch you in the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlie's on Twitter and at CheckDownCharlie's on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.